Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. With roots steeped in Nashville's songwriting tradition, True Believer Fest founders Monty Powell and Anna Wilson say they had a deep desire to create a festival where the songs themselves would be the stars. Well, the first annual True Believer Festival is happening at Snow Basin on Friday and Saturday, featuring headliners Americana legends Emmylou Harris and Rodney Crowell. Later in the program, we'll be talking with Anna Wilson about the True Believer Fest. Here's some of her music, some music from her new band, Troubadour 77. But we begin with conversation with uh, Rodney Crowell. Rodney Crowell, of course, has had uh, country hits, uh, hits in the new Americana uh, genre. His uh, career spans uh, decades. And he's written uh, songs for everyone from Nora Jones to the Grateful Dead to uh, Johnny Cash. And... Uh, most recently recorded uh, in L.A. with Ringo Starr for an upcoming uh, project. Uh, his love of language is heard not only in his well-crafted songs, but in uh, uh, can be read in his acclaimed memoir, Chinaberry Sidewalks. And we're pleased to welcome in uh, Rodney Crowell. Thanks for joining us. Hey, how are you? Good. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. good. It's a nice day. Good. Tennessee. I was, just got back from England and Ireland uh, day before yesterday, and it's uh, it's cooler in Tennessee than it was in London. Oh, really? <laughs> well, it was, wow! It was blazing hot in yeah. London. There, I mean, the folks were, you know, they were walking around in a daze, going, "We've never seen it like this." <laughs> so it's, it's unusually hot. Then, what were you were you playing from acoustic classics? What were you playing for them there? Well, yeah, I guess some of the song from acoustic classics. I was just on tour with my trio. Your trio. What uh, what, what yeah. kind what kind of music do you play with your trio? Uh, Rodney Crowell music. Rodney Crowell music. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's that's logical. <laughs> that's yeah. wonderful. I wonder if we could. Uh, I'd like to play. Uh, just jump in here and play a portion of. Uh, this is the first track on Acoustic Classics, Earthbound. Uh, this is a, a wonderful track. Let's just hear part of this. Shed my skin and in the blink of an eye I could fly, fly, fly Turn my dreams up in a second Lay my head down on the track and die, die, die My life's been so sweet I just can't stand it Well I must admit I've made out like a bandit Last night's conversation with a real good friend of mine Drinking wine, wine, wine Said fifty years of living and your worst mistakes forgiven Just take time, time, time One man's lust for life brings well right now Yeah, the next guy can't get two feet off the ground He's earthbound that is a portion of the song called uh, Earthbound. I understand, Rodney Crowell, that um, you, uh, you you have at your home a um, uh, work of a painter uh, called Ray Martin, who uh, did, yeah. a, did a painting based on that song. Yes, he did. Uh, he did a couple. Uh, that's That song was originally on an album of mine called... Uh, Fate's right hand, and he was really, Ray Martin was really 
moved by that album, and he did a couple of paintings, which he gave to me. He's a, he's a brilliant painter. One of them is called Fate's Right Hand, and the other one's called Earthbound. And they're uh, hanging on my wall. <laughs> what uh, That's got to be a thrill to have an artist uh, base his work on your work. Yes, yeah, especially when it's art that I really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've, uh, I've had art handed to me, supposedly inspired by some aspect of what I've done that, you know, frankly, uh, was not really elevated art. And, you know, I know that sounds judgmental, but, you know, I am in the business of making art, you know. So uh, it's really nice when somebody does something that, really far exceed your expectations. Hmm. Later in this song, uh, Earthbound, you you list off, you you, you know, uh, I guess the things that you like, things that keep you earthbound. Tom Waits, Aretha Franklin, um, Ringo Starr, Walter Cronkite. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good list. Yeah, you know, and the truth is, uh, Mary, you left out Mary Carr. Uh, yes, I was, I was going to talk about that, her, yeah. Uh, because of that song, she's become a really good friend of mine. But yeah. I've of that list, the Dalai Lama and Tom Waits are the only. Well, Charlie Brown, you know, being a cartoon character. But everybody else that's in that song uh, that I listen to that song, I've had some sort of interaction with, and uh, some before, like Walter Cronkite was before, but a uh, good many after. Aretha Franklin, I actually was. Amy Lou and I were at a performance at, at the White House uh, for Barack Obama and Michelle Obama, and uh, Aretha Franklin was on the show, so I got to spend some time with her. So it's, it's funny, it's you know, you you send these names out into into the airways, out into the ether, and and sometimes they answer. Yeah. <laughs> Did any have any of them been familiar with your music? Fans of your music? And then connected with uh, apparently Ringo's apparently Ringo Starr was, and uh, and I got a few notes from people around him that you know, Ringo was really, as they say, chuffed mm-hmm. to be in one of my songs and uh, <laughs> chuffed the, the, the positive yeah. yeah 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 and now you've uh, recorded with him yeah yes yeah had a it was a. Uh, uh, through a mutual friend who'd been trying to get us together to work on something for a long time, and I just offhandedly said, well, you know, I'm going to start this new record, and, you know, you've been trying to get your pal Ringo and I together. <laughs> He's a pretty good drummer, so how about we record a couple of songs? And I never expected anything to come of it. Mm. Really, honestly, I just said it. And, you know, I got an email back and said, uh, you know, Okay, Ringo Studios available. Let's, let's just figure out when. So that was that was good fun. I, you know, it's like he's one of my favorite uh, personalities and, and musicians. You know, so as you can imagine, it was a it was just a lot of fun hmm. and you know easy easy going. Like we weren't trying to paint the Mona Lisa. We were just trying to have some fun. And it and I think the track turned out pretty good. Yeah, so. yeah. You've uh, early on, uh, you know, from your from your memoir, you you were a drummer. You say you you say you weren't a very well, good drummer. I was, but you were a drummer. I was <laughs> I was sitting in that position, but yeah, mind you, and I I, I explain in in Chinaberry Sidewalks that I wasn't really 
uh, very accomplished. It was, I was in my father's band because, you know, having me there, he didn't have to pay another musician out of about a $10 a take a night, you know, so it was an economic decision on his part. Plus, you know, he was, he had a lot of audacity, you know, of, you know, well, this kid's cute. You can't play, but you know what? I can sing well and, you know, learn to live with it. That was pretty much his attitude, and it worked for him. Mm-hmm. Now, you, I wanted to talk about Mary Carr. You, you name-checked her in the song and then uh, connected you with her. What what about Mary Carr's work uh, drew you uh, to, to her? Oh, well, you know, Mary's, uh, when I started uh, working on a memoir, Myself, you know, I'd written some songs that became the Houston Kid, and at the same time, I started writing prose just to see if I could, as I said, quote unquote, paint on another canvas. And uh, a friend of mine, Mickey Raphael, who's Willie Nelson's longtime harmonica player, came by and said, "What are you up to?" You know, I said, "Well, I'm I'm starting to write, I guess, memory, you know, and prose, and seeing if I can write a book." And he he said hang on, he lived about 20 minutes away. He left and he came back and uh, handed me Mary's uh, The Liars Club. And he said, read this. So I read it and I, went, and I just recognized a kindred spirit in that, you know, basic, you know, she grew up on, in uh, Port Natchez, part of southeast Texas, and I in, in East Houston. And it's basically the same culture it's the oil refinery culture down there, and uh, it's just so much about us. This, you know, if I'd had a sister, it'd have been her. Mm. And and, it sh- turned, and, it, and as as life is interesting, we you know our paths cross, and uh, and it is like I have a sister. And she gave you uh, advice, I think, on your on your memoir. Gave me some great advice. Mm. You know, I, I asked her. I said I was getting ready to start working with an editor on it and and i and i said well i said mary what's the big you know she teaches uh advanced memoir at at syracuse university and i said what's the biggest mistake your your students make and she said falling in love with what they've written (laughs) so when i got my pages back from my editor gary fiskajohn with his neat green lines drawn through all of my songwriterly huge metaphors. I just let it go, thanks to Mary, and lo and behold, he was guiding me toward a, a real narrative, a real use of language that, that created a narrative, and I, was, and I was really grateful for that. But there is one other thing that Mary told me early on when she looked at about 30 pages from uh, uh, Chinaberry Sidewalks. She said, hey, you write better than my graduate students give me 250 pages and i'll cut it down to 50 for you mm. and i had about 250 pages at that time and that's that cut me deep and i mean not painfully but in terms of okay i got to consider what i'm doing if that's what she's saying i didn't write a word for a, a year and in that year i i really decided that i wanted to really knuckle down and try to write something that would at least, you know, swing for the you know the higher tiers if I could, because my opinion of it was, or, or my motivating factor was, you know, Tobias Wolf and and uh, you know, pick your writer that you love. They've been writing thirty five, forty years, 
and and take their art seriously, take their craft seriously. And I've been writing songs for about that long, and I said I got to work hard to bring that level of commitment to writing a book because I can't just be this songwriter who just happens to toss a book out there. So I really I spent ten years trying to uh, uh, live up to that code and succeeded at some level. Mm-hmm. So good for me. Yeah, good for you. Yes, yes. Um, and it got great reviews. It's a, it's a great book. Um, I just want to read this one line would, to illustrate language, and then maybe talk about the, the through line to your to your songs. So language is very important to you. Uh, you're talking about your parents' uh, house. Uh, underfunded, underwhelmed, and out of their league from the get-go, my parents took it to home ownership like horse thieves to a hanging judge. Which is a that's a great line. Yeah, they did. Yeah, <laughs> they, they, you know, it was it was completely over their head. They were, you know, they were uh, sharecrop farm kids and had lived in. You know, my father at one time was during the depression had lived in a uh, sheep shed. The entire family in in you know Missouri. So owning a home or having, you know. Uh, any understanding of how economics work in the world and how one might benefit from that was entirely out of their uh, uh, comprehension. But somehow, God bless them, they made their way and, and things started to fall together for them. It took a long time, but it it was, you know, it is, you know, blessed for the meek, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit Hmm. A little bit of something. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's a little. You say you grew up in uh, East Houston. You, you've you said in another interview you had an ear for the way the language was tossed about, quoting you, the colloquial aspect of the language at the rodeo and among construction workers. And you'd you'd competed at rodeo as well. So you, you, you knew the language. Yeah, well, you know, uh, NASCAR has a uh, vernacular uh, the way they tell you know when they said you know when the guy's running out front in NASCAR running ahead of everybody they'll say oh man he's got his boot in his gas tank it's metaphorical language and in rodeo you know it's like uh, you know when you're, you're in a bull riding you know they say take a deep seat and get a far away look in your eye and turn your toes out and it's, it's you know it's language that's and I love how it's used and Rather than just you, just the, the facts of it, the, the metaphorical poetry of of what's going on and how it's interrelated. Mm. I was uh, in this other interview. This is with uh, with NPR. Um, you told this fascinating story. Uh, just it really struck me about songwriting. You talked about Guy Clark, and um, you you said that he told you, "Okay, you got a new song." Don't play it. Just say it to me and look me in the eye, which turned out to be a really right. good exercise. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I had a. Uh, I was teaching a songwriting workshop out in uh, Monterey, California, just about ten days ago, and uh, and asked for a volunteer. Only really got one who was willing to do that, and his work was really good. But um, yeah, you know, well, Guy Clark had these really intense eyes, and. Uh, and he knew what he was doing with me, you know, and he said, oh, you know, you got to make your language strong. So 
no guitar, I'd look at him in the eye, and and one thing I learned is when when I wanted to avert my eyes with a with a particular line in the song, then I knew it was you know I hadn't worked hard enough to uncover what the best language was for that particular uh, narrative or you know couplet, whatever it might be. It was it was a great exercise, and you know so we turned it around eventually, but I had softer, bigger, bluer eyes than guys, so I, I don't think it was a fair game when he would look look at me in the eye and, and you know, read his lines to me. <laughs> uh, but uh, I learned a great deal from it, and, I, and it, I'm really grateful. I'm, I'm, it seems like when I'm out on a stage and I'm performing for people, that exercise still holds because I like seeing, you know, uh, I work with Amy Lou Harris a lot, and she prefers not to be able to see the audience. I really like to see the audience, and I think I like to look look audience members in the eyes as I'm delivering these songs, and, I, and I'm pretty sure that it goes back to that exercise with Guy, because we did that on 20, 25 songs that I wrote back in the 70s and 80s. Mm. Uh, uh, if you just join us, we're talking with Rodney Crowell. Uh, he's going to be, along with Emily Harris, uh, headlining. Uh, the uh, True Believer Fest. It's happening at Snow Basin. It's the first annual, and uh, that'll be uh, happening Friday and Saturday at Snow Basin. Uh, so, Rodney Crowell, let's let's hear uh, just a little bit more music from uh, Acoustic Classics here. Um, I'd like to uh, hear a little bit of uh, Shame on the Moon. This is a, is a, a, a reworking of that. Uh, it was a big hit for Bob Seger, right? Uh, um, and uh, let, let's hear just a, a portion of, of your version from Acoustic Classics. Well, it wasn't all that long ago that I could really drink them down. Three days up and running wild And never touched the ground If tall, dark, and handsome Is not what I am You've either not noticed Or you don't give a damn I've heard it said a thousand times To thine own self be true But it's not for lack of trying That this is something I can't do So what can I tell you That you don't already know chinks in my armor are starting to show So obviously, that's a you know that's a uh, different version, of course, uh, very intimate with you, uh, you know, sort of uh, speaking 
the, the familiar chorus there. What were you? Uh, what, what did you want to update in this? What did you want to change? <laughs> what, was, what was I thinking? <laughs> what? Well, it's, it's an <laughs> interesting story on that song. Uh, I was writing that. I learned a valuable lesson. I, I was writing in 1979. When I was got the inspiration of that song, I had the television on the tele, and I was living in Los Angeles, and uh, and I got the first verse and the uh, the chorus that uh, kind of ooh shame on the moon chorus. And I thought oh, I got something here, you know. And then the Jimmy Jones, the news broke, uh, breaking news: Jimmy Jones and the uh, mass suicide in um, Guyana, French Guyana came on and I was distracted and I never I felt like I never wrote that song I never I didn't maintain the 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 level of it and especially the last verse I just felt cobbled together and I I never I never believed in it I couldn't look guy in the eye and say that last verse and but I recorded it anyway because musically it was good and and bob seger got a hold of it um and he had a huge massive hit with it and uh and it became his song you know his performance was so superior to mine and and i told him i said you know you own that song from now on that's good but i was bothered by it for years and years and years and years i didn't like the last verse and i tinkered with the last verse for 30 years and when it came time, you know, to make acoustic classics, you know, I said, I have an opportunity here to really nail that last verse, really get it right. But as it turned out, I just finally realized, no, I've got to rewrite the, all the verses. It's not, you know, I can't just put a Band-Aid on it one more time. So I uh, rewrote all the verses, I kept one line from the original song and, and I kept the chorus as it was and uh, and I was really heavily under the influence of uh, Leonard Cohen's last couple of albums as I was putting that together and my decision to arrange it in that way was very very much because of how much I love the last two albums that Leonard Cohen made in his, in his life mm. and the way he used the real beauty of his spoken voice uh, combined with uh, with women singing, you know, very angelic-sounding women on his recordings. And that's the story of how that's come to be. Interesting, yeah. I was going to ask you why you love those last two albums. That I guess you've, you've just said it there. Oh, yeah. There was just, his, yeah. So, there's so much self-awareness. And it's also I love the self awareness and the spirit the spirituality of his lyric and, and what he's saying. But I also love the awareness that I think he and Roscoe Beck, who is his producer, brought to to utilizing his voice in a way that it is it was never more commanding and more powerful. And then off offsetting it melodically with really beautiful sounding women's voices that uh, take the lyric, his words, just you know, up to heaven. So I, I think it's some of the best work that anybody's done in the last decade. Those those two albums that Leonard Cohen did. Yeah, that is beautiful, beautiful stuff. Um, I want to fit. We just have about uh, four or five minutes left with uh, Rodney Crowell. 
Um, I want to fit this one in and uh, talk about the arc of your career, Rodney Crowell. This is, um, let's hear just a little bit okay. of I Couldn't Leave You If I Tried. The sun is coming up and I am just going down Everywhere I look the world keeps turning round You know I said I never would be satisfied Oh baby I lied I couldn't Turns me upside down And every stumbling step I take Back to your side Hurts my pride I couldn't believe you if I tried So that's, uh, that was a big hit. That was uh, from Diamonds and Dirt. First country album to generate five consecutive number one singles. So it was it was you and Dwight Yoakam, I think, and Steve Earle, um, uh, you know, big time. But you have you have said that uh, you found out that it was it wasn't a really good fit for you. You didn't didn't really fit in that uh, in in that lifestyle. Well, I wasn't. Uh, I guess my fifteen minutes of fame at that particular time in my life. I, I was out of step with it. I mean, if it happened to me now, I'm a I'm a much more confident man. I I would handle it with uh, grace. But you know, when I would walk into when you're you know on the radio like that, and everybody you walk into a room, people project onto you uh, something that may not be who you really are. And I found myself recoiling from that, and I and I felt like that I was starting to to make a persona for myself that wasn't really who I was, and it felt to me like it was going to, that if I stayed on that path, that what I was going to lose was my artistic integrity. And uh, so I think I unconsciously started figuring out ways to derail what was happening at that particular time. And prob- and that that's one theory, but another theory may be, but when you get a big hit record like that, you're making a lot of money for yourself and people, then, you know, the the business wants you to get right back in and do the same thing again and make more money. And I don't think I'm made that way. I, I, I chase the muse and I chase it where it goes, and, and I just could not manufacture what I had done naturally that worked so well. And uh, so... You know, I fell off that horse. Yeah. <laughs> what you say? You chase the muse. What What is important? What did you find is important to you in the in your songwriting? Well, it was actually subconsciously it was a really good choice because I've I've managed to have a career the last twenty years that does not require me to play oldies and play my hits of the days. I'm I'm functioning very well out there as a performer based on the albums that I've made in the last 20 years and uh and my audience has grown with uh the artistic choices that I've made it's not a big audience 
but it's it's an audience that allows me to continue to work freely and to do exactly what you know what my heart tells me to do or to follow the muse. You know, follow the muse is to follow your heart, mm. really. And I, I feel really lucky. And I think had I not made that left-hand turn at that particular time, I would have probably wound up, you know, locked into that thing of like playing the hits from 1987 to mm. 1990 instead of having the career I have now. Yeah. Now there's this label called Americana, which uh, you know people are describing you as an Americana legend. Do you embrace that? Well, I did something. I did something very. Uh, wise, I think at a particular time when I made the Houston Kid, uh, Americana Music w- uh, organization was in its infancy, and I pledged, you know, I pledged myself to them because I understood what they were going for. Basically, I was thinking this morning, you know, it's like I've heard that I've been called the architect of Americana Music, but I, I would say John Prime would be the architect of Americana music. You go back to the 70s, you know, what John Prine introduced, like, that is the architect of Americana music. And about the year 2000, I recognized where this was going to go. And, you know, I've become, you know, a a board member and a, uh, you know, one of the uh, recognizable artists in, in the genre. And it's, it's a middle class genre. There's no way around, you know, it's not the elite, you know, 2%, you know, who are out there making lots of money. It's just the middle class working artist who strives, you know, for some form of poetry and some, some form of, uh, truth telling. And I feel honored and blessed to be part of that. Well, we uh, we are pleased to have been able to talk with Rodney Crowell. Uh, we're end of our time here, but the the new album is Acoustic Classics, and um, the memoir is well worth the read. Uh, Chinaberry Sidewalks uh, was released a few years ago, still out. Uh, and Rodney Crowell, along with Emily Harris, they're the headliners to the first annual True Believer Festival. It's happening at Snow Basin uh, Friday and Saturday. Rodney Crowell, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on your program. I appreciate it. And let's go out with a portion of uh, another song from Acoustic Classics. Uh, This is Making Memories of Us.
programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Bear Lake Valley Convention and Visitors Bureau Raspberry Days, Wednesday, August 2nd through Saturday the 4th, featuring a festival and fair, live concerts, rodeos, and more. Information at bearlake.org slash events. Most of Utah's precipitation falls as snow. And while all that beautiful Utah powder is great for skiing and snowboarding, it does not hold a lot of water. Living in the second driest state in the U.S. that also has among the fastest growing populations means all Utahns need to make water conservation a habit. Researchers in USU's Department of Plants, Soils, and Climate examine the water needs of all kinds of crops and landscape plants and share recommendations through USU Extension and the Center for Water Efficient Landscaping that are helping Utahns use water more wisely. Combined, even small changes in water use can make a big difference. Support for Ag Matters on Utah Public Radio is provided in part by our members and by the College of Agriculture and Applied Sciences at Utah State University, offering more than 70 degrees with courses available at USU campuses throughout the state and online. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. Today I'm Tom Williams. With roots steeped in Nashville's songwriting tradition, True Believer Fest founders Monty Powell and Anna Wilson say they had a deep desire to create a festival where the songs themselves would be the stars. And the first annual True Believer Festival is happening at Snow Basin uh, on Friday and Saturday, featuring Americana legends Emilio Harris and Rodney Crowell and many other acts. And we have talked with Rodney Crowell uh, today. We uh, bring in, in the second half here, Anna Wilson, uh, who is one of the founders of True Believer Fest. We're going to hear some of her music, some music from her new band, Troubadour 77. Anna Wilson is a critically acclaimed artist. She's recorded and performed with uh, everyone from Keith Urban to Lady Antebellum to Kenny Rogers, Larry Carlton, Ray Price, Connie Smith. She's also written songs for artists ranging from Lady Antebellum uh, to Reba McIntyre. And uh, Anna Wilson, welcome to the program. Well, thank you. It's great to be here this morning. Good to have you on. Um, so you've, uh, you and your husband recently, I think, relocated to, to Utah. We did. Well, we have it. Um, we're second homeowners uh, out near Huntsville, Utah, which is not too far from Snow Basin. Um, and we spend our winters and our summers out here in, in the beautiful country of Utah, and we sure do love it. <laughs> yeah, Huntsville, beautiful, beautiful area. Snow Basin, beautiful area. Uh, so uh, the you know the promotional materials you say you wanted to create a festival where the songs themselves would be the stars. What uh, what was the impulse behind that? Well, um, you know, back in Nashville, we have a famous experience are called the Bluebird Cafe uh, experience, where songwriters um, who have written a lot of the hits that you hear on the radio, you know, come and play at that club seven nights a week, you know, and um, tell the stories behind their songs and, you know, what inspired them to write a particular song that, you know, has has been made famous by an artist on the radio or whatnot. And a lot of times it's a real opportunity to hear a song sort of in its much more authentic and organic um, experience uh, rather than the full production of a of a record that you might hear on the radio. And, um, and you also get to hear it by the creator of it um, sometimes. Now, a lot of times, you know, there's a song that's, like, co-written with the artist, and, of course, the artist is also the creator, but there's also times where an artist delivers a song and they haven't written it at all, and so there's always this big aha moment 
for audience uh, members that are like, oh, wow, okay, someone else wrote this song, and they hear it kind of in the its rawest form. And so that's where that inspiration came, to try to bring that experience from the 100-seat club uh, coffee shops and things that, that you know, singer-songwriters tend to be in and bring it to the festival stage. What is it about songwriting that um, that appeals to you? It's, it's, it's a craft that you've... That you yeah, you've um, really engaged in. I, I am. Um, you know, I've been a professional songwriter for pretty much my whole adult life. Um, I moved to Nashville when I was 21, right out of college, and uh, knew that's what I wanted to do. For for me, it's it's a way to process the world a little bit um, and my observations of it and how it affects me. Um, I, guess, I guess you could have a lot of songwriters say, you know, songwriting is a little bit like therapy. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it, it's a way to, you know, kind of take what I observe in the world or what maybe affects me and, 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 and process it out um, in, a, in a meaningful way that either helps me understand something better um, or, you know, also is maybe a, a something that could be a universal experience and that if someone else heard my perspective on it in a song, well, that also might help them find their own perspective or their own story in something. Um, so, and that, you know, and that ranges anything from, you know, topics of love and death and, um, you know, <laughs> you know, it just runs the whole gamut of, of human emotion and experience. Now, often a, a singer or a songwriter will, will stick to one genre. You've, you've been involved in a lot of, a lot of genres. I kind of have. I know it's been a real interesting journey. Um, I, I guess you could say, in some ways, I've been a little bit of a, a chameleon as far as that's concerned. Um, you know, I started out. I moved to Nashville, and uh, you know, did kind of dabbled in the con- the pure, straight up country music thing for a while, and then sort of realized I wasn't as country as I needed to be. I guess for that format, and, and I and I did some. Like when I was younger, I did some pop and rock, and then I kind of eased into jazz. Um, and now I'm kind of really doing what my heart has always um, felt like it's been called to do and wanted to do, and that is um, sort of this with my, with our new band, Troubadour Seventy Seven. We're we're really trying to be like a, mo- a I guess a modern day version of, of a classic rock type of band um, in the sense of the singer-songwriter tradition that was alive in the Laurel Canyon period of the 70s when um, the Eagles and Linda Ronstadt and Jackson Brown and James Taylor and all those folks were sort of burgeoning on the L.A. scene. Um, a lot of times people say, you know, if those artists were coming of age in the music business today, they, they might have gotten their start in Nashville as opposed to Los Angeles. But um, but the thing that has always rooted me through the, all the genres um, – has always been songs, and I've always written original songs in various different formats. And so I guess first and foremost, even though I sort of have moved around and, and had a really diverse uh, career as a singer and a songwriter, um, you know, the thing that has grounded all of it and, and sort of the common thread is is the songwriting aspect of things. Mm. Uh, let's, you mentioned Troubadour 77. Uh, 77, does that refer to 1977? What's the... It, it does, uh-huh. yeah. Um, yeah. 77 was a watershed year in music. If you look at the 
Billboard charts that year. Um, everything from how deep is your love to uh, dreams, uh, you know, uh, just all these amazing, this amazing soundtrack of people's lives kind of existed in that year right before disco kind of took over. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it was sort of the last great year of, of the, you know, singer-songwriter movement that was happening back in the 70s. Um, and also, it was also the year where I sort of realized I wanted to be in the music business and sing and write songs and, and sort of do this. Um, and so it, it has just been a really mean, it's been, you know, kind of had a lot of meaning for me that year. And so when we were naming the band, we we, we pulled from that. <laughs> and and Troubadour, that's, you know, the what, uh, telling story through song, yeah. right? And it, it is. I mean, you know, a Troubadour, you know, is an old traveling English, you know, word for, uh, English old English word for a traveling poet and uh Minstrel, you know, that used to go around and in, in the, back in the day, and, and you know, entertain the the very wealthy, you know, people um, of the day, and and uh, they were they were really just like I guess you could say the modern day Turing artist, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but back then, and so that word always just had very a lot of meaning for for us as well, um, because that is what we are, you know, we're troubadours, and also um, it was an homage to the the great Troubadour Club in Santa Monica, where all of our heroes, uh, like Carol King and uh, the Eagles and Jackson Brown and Ronstadt and all those folks that so inspired me as a songwriter and a singer, you know, got their start. And so it was homage to that. So like, we kind of combined the, the Troubadour in the 77 and, you know, made it made it be a thing <laughs> <laughs> well let's hear some music I, I found this on youtube and it's by the way uh, you made this video at snow basin um mm. and it, it looks like you, looks like you guys are having a lot of fun with this is called drive this is troubadour uh, 77 let's hear a portion of this
That's a portion of the song Drive from Troubadour 77. Uh, if you see, if you watch the video of Anna Wilson, you're you're on the keyboards there and the vocals. Um, I am, yeah, yeah. Uh, I like the like the bass player. She's really uh, <laughs> really going to town. She's awesome. This. Yeah, Cassie Wyan. She's great. Um, it's really fun. We're we're a band of two married couples. <laughs> oh, you are okay. So we're we're a little bit like Fleetwood Mac, I guess you could say. I was just going to mention Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully it doesn't end up like yeah. that, right? Uh, exactly. Maybe a little, a little less. Uh, Drugs and, and sex, I guess, right. <laughs> and affairs. <laughs> but um, no, no, we're we're two married couples, and our drummer and uh, Austin Wyand is our other guitar player. He's acoustic. Uh, he's the Utah and Wyoming fingerstyle guitar champion. Um, yes, I've so been. I'm a little familiar a with him. Wonderful yeah. musician. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Are you okay? Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's wonderful. So him and Cassie, uh, the bass player, are married, and then myself. And Monty Powell, who's on the electric guitar, um, are married, and then our drummer Nathan Chapel. Yeah, and you can hear that. You know, I, I, I could hear I could hear that '70s influence, right? And the, yeah, <laughs> a beautiful, exactly. beautiful song. And and uh, one of the aspects of the song "Drive," of course, the lyrics talk about it, but it's 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 a kind of a driving rhythm as well. Um, so Troubadour 77, what, uh, and of course Rodney Crowell, Emmylou Harris, those are big sure. gets for, uh, who else is going to appear at the, at, um, uh, the yeah. festival? We have, uh, Sean Colvin, um, who I believe is also really good friends with Rodney and, and Emmylou as well, so that's great. And, and we're all kind of friends, I mean, we, we've all worked together, you know, in the industry over the years in different projects, like, Monty and I produced a track on Emmylou and... Sean Colvin, along with Patty Griffin, for a project that we've been working on um, that highlights the songs of, of the great Billy Joel. So uh, we're making a Billy Joel tribute record that's going to be coming out, and they're on it. So we knew them from that. And then, of course, Monty and Rodney have known each other for like 25 years back in Nashville, you know, as songwriters and different different you know venues. So we were really excited to kind of like you know all. All convene, you know, <laughs> and be together in one place. You never know what kind of magical moments are going to happen. Um, but then, additionally, we have um, another wonderful group. Uh, it's it's kind of it's a super group called Legend. David Pax Legends Live is the name of of the uh, I guess the act you could say. And what it is, it, it brings together four um, amazing songwriter, former lead singers of '70s bands. And they're going to play like hit after hit. So David Pack is the former lead singer of Ambrosia. He wrote Biggest Part of Me, um, You're the Only Woman. And then we've got uh, John Elefante, lead singer of Kansas. He's going to sing Dust in the Wind. Um, we've got uh, Richard Page, the, the lead singer of Mr. Mr. Take These Broken Wings and Carry L.A.'s on. And then, of course, um, we also have this, the amazing Jim Peterick, who was the lead singer for Survivor and also um, wrote the Rocky theme, Fly of the Tiger. So they're literally going to be together, all four on stage, playing each other's hits together. Um, and I think I think it's going to be a real crowd pleaser. Oh, that'd be that'd be fun. I, w- I was going to say. Yeah. Um, I wore out how much I feel from Ambrosia when I was a young person. That was, oh yeah, exactly. What a great song! I mean, gosh, and David sing, and they these guys sing just as good, if not better, than they did even back in the day. I mean, they're just so tight, so solid. They've got a whole amazing all-star band. Um, you know, the, the combination of 
you know, just veteran musicians from L.A. and Nashville and New York, and, and they're all going to come together. Guys who've played on, you know, so many records that people know and love, Kenny Aronoff on drums, Gary Tedder on guitar. I mean, it's going to be an amazing, amazing um, hour and a half of music. <laughs> and, and getting to hear the story, like, what's the story behind Eye of the Tiger? Mm-hmm. Like, how did that come about? Um, he's going to talk about that, you know, and, and same for same for all the other guys. Yeah. I want to end a little bit early so we could uh, fit in at least a portion of another of your songs. I want to uh, go out with uh, Time Changes Everything. Um, oh, wonderful. Kind of, kind of the, uh, in your more jazzy uh, vein. Um, but yeah. uh, just finally, how, how can people get information and get up to the festival? Sure. Um, well, you can get uh, tickets at smithticks.com, or also you could go to truebeliverfest.com. And that's T R O U B, like troubadour, not <laughs> not the other right. true. So, truebelieverfest.com, and you can get tickets there. And also, um, you could just walk up, you know, day of at Snow Basin and and buy a ticket. So, and we, we're also going to have some songwriting workshop and master classes in the morning uh, for anyone who's interested in kind of learning the behind the curtain uh, tips and tricks of songwriting from veteran veteran songwriters uh and that'll be in the morning from uh, nine to twelve so and it's it gonna looks, be a fun weekend it looks like uh, on friday your your opening act is a, a sister act from uh from utah yes looks very promising it, it is yes they're a uh, sister act they're 13 and 15 they're sort of the future of songwriting i guess you could say um just an amazing wonderful uh duo called viviana and lacina and they're just two of the finest young songwriters i have stumbled across um in a while, and so we were wanting to give them a highlight. Friday is free. Um, the music starts at 7.30 in Earl's Lodge. It'll be an indoor event uh, on Friday, and it's free to the public, and we're featuring some local acts as well, and, and they're going to kick it off. Well, it sounds like a lot of fun. The first annual True Believer Festival that's happening at Snow Basin Friday and Saturday. We've been talking with, with one of the founders of the festival, Anna Wilson. Uh, Anna Wilson, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And we're going to go out with uh, Anna Wilson. This is a song called Time Changes Everything. To prove I had enough Cause it just left me blue Lost all alone and without you I thought I was through And then it came around again Somewhere in between Lost and found Somehow found a way to turn me into a cliché Steal my heart away again Time changes everything Life's such a funny thing Time changes everything you 
to run away Oh, but there is no escape Time changes everything Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Cache Valley Chamber of Commerce Empowering Women Workshop, discussing empowering women through vocational skills and technical education. Wednesday, August 8th from 10.30 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Herms Inn. Registration details at cachechamber.com. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences, KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM Logan, also heard at upr.org.